It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions about moving Brian Reynolds to left field. Does that hurt his trade value with the Pirates? Does Mark Vientos break camp with the Mets? And how is Dax Fulton doing in Miami? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen. Every single day, we're proudly part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day, and Monday is your show. The entire Monday episode is always a mailbag, and these questions come from listeners of this show. In this case, every single question came from members of our Discord. If you want to join a baseball community and talk baseball throughout this season, the link is in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. Completely free. You're more than welcome to join us. We'd love to have you. First question comes from Brian, who is a Brewers fan. So I'm assuming it's not the same person, but he asked about Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. Uh, There's been some reports that he's moving to left field some this season. How does this impact his trade value? So a couple interesting things here. The the reference is there was some games last week in spring training where you saw Brian Reynolds in left, Jack Sawinski in center, and Andrew McCutcheon in right field. There's a couple different aspects at play here. One is that In PNC Park, it's one of those parks, kind of like Yankee Stadium, where left field's a little bit more demanding defensively than in some other parks, right? So a guy who's been, who is still viewed by the Pirates primarily as a center fielder, uh, playing some left field improves the outfield defense. Part of it is also getting prospect Jack Sawinski some more time in center, getting him acclimated. This could be if you're one to read into these things, this could be a precursor to giving Sawinski the center field job if you trade Brian Reynolds. But also, I think it's with Reynolds, he he has been a left fielder before for this team. So uh, 2019 to 2020, he played about 62% of his uh, time in the outfield in left field. And he actually started 2021 as the starting left fielder before he transitioned into center. Now, depending on which defensive metrics you use, and I'm not going to pretend to know which one's better than the other or even really how they work that well, uh, he finished 2021. Brian Reynolds had minus five defensive runs saved, but also 10 outs above average, which was 98th percentile. A very good performance in 2021. Now, he came back and was and continued to be the center fielder in 2022. And on both stats, Uh, significantly worse than 2021. He was minus 14 defensive runs saved and minus seven outs above above average, which is the sixth percentile in MLB and second worst in all of Major League Baseball. And when you specifically look at where he was downgraded, he struggled moving back, minus two outs above average moving back, and struggled moving to his left, minus five outs above average moving to his left. He ended up actually at minus eight outs above average against lefties, but gained one back against righties, so he finished up at minus seven outs above average. When you look at kind of what he does, the speed is still decent. The reaction time is below average. And so I think part of this, there's two parts of this, why you'd make this move. I think one of them is you want to mitigate 
what you potentially see as a defensive decline in Brian Reynolds, if that is what it is. Obviously, the teams have better metrics than us. They've seen a lot more of him than we have. It's entirely possible that they want to minimize his exposure in center field to keep his defense, his value as high as possible for a trade. Uh, by putting him in left, he can play a little, he can position himself a little closer to center than your average left fielder would. Since he excels going to his right and struggles going to his left, that way you can kind of mitigate where he is He is below average. And then a lot of, of lefties like to pull the ball. You know, you'll still have plenty of fly balls out there, but you'll also mitigate his exposure against lefties by having him in left field. Uh, I think another thing here, and they acknowledged this last year, the team, uh, and this kind of comes back to manager Derek Shelton mentioned this last year, is that playing center field every day is very physically demanding. We have a show coming on Friday about outfielders and center fielders in particular. We'll get more into depth on this. But it's something where they feel like if they can occasionally play him in left field, maybe it's once a week or whatever, that this will help keep him fresh and uh, help him better withstand a 162-game season. So you combine Jack Sawinski having good speed and above-average arm, uh, but needing experience out there, with Brian Reynolds being another year older, not having the best metrics, you can see why you would make that thing. Now, I think a lot of baseball sees him as somebody who was probably going to end up being a left fielder anyway. I know that the Yankees want to make the trade, or at least Yankees fans want to make the trade for Brian Reynolds so that they can put him into left field in Yankee Stadium because you haven't really had a good defensive outfielder out there in a while other than maybe Andrew Benatendi when you had him briefly last year. So I think a lot of teams already kind of view him as he's probably going to be a left fielder who can cover center for us if we need it. So I don't necessarily know if it impacts his trade value that much, but it is definitely something to watch how much he plays center this year versus left. Uh, Jeremy in our Discord, Mets fan, asks, does Mark Fientos beat out Brett Beatty or Francisco Alvarez for a spot out of spring training because of roster fit. And it's a really interesting conversation to have here. So Mark Viento, 6'4", 190. He was a 2017 second rounder out of high school. Got 101 games last year in AAA. 280, 358, 519. 24 home runs, 41 extra base hits, 44 walks to 122 strikeouts and 0 for 2 on stolen bases. Plus power to all fields, that's kind of his game, right? Is getting a hold of one and putting it in the seats. Now, uh, he still chases too much. He has swing and miss in the zone. So your power tool is only as good as your hit tool. His power tool is above average to plus. His hit tool is probably easily a 40 grade. Uh, he does significantly struggle with righties as well. And Baseball America had a great note in AAA last year. His OPS was about 375 points lower against righties than lefties. So... Uh, he started off as a shortstop, was moved to third base, and defensively is bad at third base. You're looking at making him a first baseman or a DH. And so his playtime opportunity would be a DH against lefties and a backup at first base. So it kind of mirrors what you were getting or what the ideal was from Darren Ruff last year. So the question now is, do you have Vientos or Alvarez as that left as that left hand pitcher DH platoon role. Vientos last year, 315, 401, 692 against lefties. Alvarez, 304, 412, 574. You do have two catchers. 
you feel comfortable with right now in Tomas Nito and Omar Narvaez. And so the question is, fittingly, does Darren Ruff or Mark Vientos fill that left-handed hitting, or sorry, fill that DH role against lefties? Uh, And I think the answer to does Vientos make it up before those other guys depends on what happens with Eduardo Escobar. I think Brett Beatty should make the roster maybe in place of somebody like a, maybe something where Tommy Pham is your left fielder and instead of Mark Canna, and you can rotate in Brett Beatty when you need to when he's not playing third. Brett Beatty against righties, 324-18-537, whereas Eduardo Escobar is not great against righties, but against lefties, he's 263-302-525. I can see a scenario where Brett Beatty breaks camp, especially if there's some sort of injury or something, uh, as the backup left fielder and the uh, right-handed the right-hand pitching platoon side of the third base job. Do I think that's more likely than Mark Vientos getting the nod over Darren Ruff? I think I do. Uh, but again, this is all. This kind of all comes back to how do you feel about Darren Ruff? How do you feel about uh, Eduardo Escobar? And then your options in left field and a Mark Canna and a Tommy Pham. Going to be interesting to watch. Again, if I had to bet, I'd think Beatty... Is the first is the is the first one up over Vientos, but it's a very good question and a very uh, very tough answer to try to get for our buddy Jeremy. In just a minute, I want to get to uh, some questions about some individual prospects, including pitcher Dax Fulton for the Miami Marlins. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Uh, spring training, full swing. If you're making a trip down to spring training, you've got to stick with Built Bars. If you're anything like me and my family, it's very much a load up on candy and snacks at the gas station before you get in the car and you just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat the entire drive. Uh, and you do that because, one, you like the taste of candy bars, but then, two, you never really feel full off of candy because it's just empty sugar. Built Bars are different, 100% real chocolate and great flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. So it hits all the same notes that you would typically have from a candy bar, but it's also good for you. Only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. So the protein keeps you full and keeps you from munching on candy all the way down to either Florida or Arizona. Uh, So Go online, go to Built.com. You can check out all of the flavors there and go ahead and place your order and have it ready for your road trip. If you run out while you're on the road, not to worry. Find the closest Walmart. Go to the pharmacy section, get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, of double chocolate, or of coconut puff, or find a Sam's Club and get a 13-bar box of brownie batter and churro. Uh, Everything else, all the options, Built.com. Okay, so... FFEJ17 in their Discord asked a question about pitcher Dax Fulton of the Miami Marlins. 2020 second rounder out of high school and actually had Tommy John that year. Uh, He had his senior season of high school, was able to pitch a little bit in instructs, and he's now two years away from that. So last year, 24 games, 23 of those were starts between high A and double A. 3-8-0 ERA, 118 in the third innings. 150 strikeouts, so 11.4 per nine, 242 walks, 3.2 per nine, eight home runs allowed. Felt like he was a little bit inconsistent in high A, but really turned it on when he got to double A. Uh, He actually got a playoff start 
against Montgomery. Uh, struck out 13 guys against one walk, and I think six innings. Didn't allow a run, one hit. Looked fantastic in that game. And so, something where uh, you can see, like, the stuff is coming back, but you have some obvious places for improvement. So, the fastball sits... 94 to 95, it can touch around 97 or so, and that's an improvement from where it was. When he was drafted, it was low 90s, touching 95. A lot of pitchers talk about all the working out, lifting weights you get to do when you're recovering from Tommy John, and how you can pick up some velocity. So he has that. They gave him a two-seamer as well, and they're around the same speed. So still sitting mid-90s, touching 97. The curveball's the real star. It's a plus curveball. Sits in the high 70s, slight tilt off of directly vertical, so it's not a 12 to 6, it's like a 1 to 7 or something. He has a changeup that is fringe to average, needs to get it a little bit better. It's been something where he hasn't really been consistent with what the grip's going to be on it. I think that Dax Fulton can be a starter. The question, there's two questions you got to figure out, is one, is there any more velo in the projection left? 6'6", 230, so large frame. I don't know how much physical projection is left, so can you add more velo or not? And then two, not necessarily having a fourth pitch. Yes, you have two versions of a fastball and a curveball. The change isn't necessarily great. And so not really having that fourth pitch, I feel like maybe a, maybe a sweepy slider would do him really well as long as it would still tunnel. It's just figuring out a fourth pitch is going to be the, the big thing for Dex Fulton. The tools are there, though. The stuff he has is good. He had a 13.3% swinging strike percentage between high A and double A, which was top five for guys under 20 years old in the minors. So, or at or under 20 years old. So the stuff is good. You just need a little bit more incremental improvement, either velocity-wise or another pitch that could just give you a little bit of a different visual picture to attack a hitter with. Captain Dangerous in our Discord asked about two different Emmanuel's, E-N-M-A-N-U-E-L, two different Emmanuel's, Valdez of the Red Sox and Torero of the Pirates. So, Emmanuel Valdez of the Boston Red Sox was originally an, an IFA by the Astros. They traded him to the Red Sox in the Christian Vasquez uh, deal, you know, that deal that was made while the Astros were in Boston. Yeah, uh, Boston had already had the pitching meetings with the catcher and the pitchers about how they're going to attack all the hitters, and then they traded Christian Vasquez to the team they were about to play, and he had the scouting report of what they're going to do that weekend. It was a weird trade. Weird timing of the trade. But anyway, so last year, 126 games between AA and AAA. 296, 376, 542, 28 home runs, 65 extra base hits, again, in the 126 games. 64 walks to 124 strikeouts, 8 of 11 on stolen bases. Definitely an offensive first player, right? So the stature is not necessarily fantastic from what I, you know, if provided that baseball reference is right, I had to double check this, 5'9", 195, not the biggest guy in the world. But despite that, the swing is kind of explosive. He can get power to all fields and he hits righties really well. I mean, you, you saw the extra base hit numbers, uh, 65 extra base hits in 126 games. So better than one every other game. The issues you have, where is he going to play on defense? His speed is solidly below average, 40 speed. His arm is fringe or so, so, you know, about 45. And he didn't look great at second. 
They tried him at third. The arm's not good enough for third. He didn't look that great and left. And so it's something where, like, I guess you could play him as a DH. He's got maybe above average power. It just it just feels kind of odd to have a guy of that stature and that size profile DHing for you. But if that's I mean, if that's he's gonna be below off average just about anywhere on the infield. He's obviously not tall enough and big enough target to play first. And so you're you're looking at a DH or accepting below average defense at short if you put I'm sorry, at second if you put him there. So I'm sure he'll go back to AAA this year. They'll probably call him up if they need an extra bat. But again, I think he's just limited by the by the uh, lack of a uh, the lack of ceiling in that defense. Emmanuel Torero is an outfielder for the Pirates. Uh, 2019 IFA obviously didn't start playing until 2021 because of uh, the pandemic and the canceled season. Last year got 35 games stateside in rookie ball in the complex league. 330, 446, 443, one home run. That was an inside the Parker. Seven extra base hits, 23 walks to 17 strikeouts, 9 of 16 on stolen bases. Here's the issue with Emmanuel Torero. He controls the zone very, very well. He makes very good contact. He has virtually no power to speak of. He's 5'11", 160. You have to assume there is some physical development you can do. But like I said, he had one home run last year, and it was an inside the parker. His slugging was three points lower than his on base. Go back to the DSL in 2021. 237, 391, 317. His slugging was lower than his on base. He's a contact-oriented hitter. He can get on. It's just the ceiling is kind of limited unless you get a jump in physical development. So that's going to be the big thing for Emmanuel Torero. If he wants to get in top 30 lists and be moved from an organizational guy to a future MLBer, he's going to have to figure out a source of power. Defensively, the speed's above average. Uh, the arm is below average, but I think he's quick enough where he could stick in center, provided a little more work, like you see from a lot of youngsters on the reads, routes, and reactions. Uh, but it's something where he's going to have to stick in center because the lack of power, the complete lack of power, does not profile well at all in a corner. So he's, he's, a, he's a lower ceiling, low floor kind of guy. And right now, you're looking at an organizational guy unless he can work out some more power and or improve the defense to go from maybe above average to plus. In just a minute, I want to get to uh, some, of my, uh, some of my favorite non-top 30 prospects in the National League, as well as uh, differences in difficulty between each level. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business, and you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes, add your job to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Christian in our Discord, who, by the way, has an interesting podcast called the OK Baseball Podcast, OBP, 
Uh, right now, he's going through and they're previewing all of the teams in spring training You with a fan from each team. I actually was on last week previewing the Atlanta Braves from a fan perspective versus a uh, covering the team perspective. So that was quite fun. Definitely go check it out. Uh, ask me about my favorite non-top 30 prospect in the National League. I've actually... I've actually have a few I'm going to give you and one for the American League. So in the National League, there's two guys that I want to mention. Uh, One of them, shortstop Trey Faltine of the Reds, drafted out of Texas. And the Reds have a lot of shortstops. Yes, up front, I'll acknowledge a ton of shortstops for the Reds. But Trey Faltine is incredibly athletic, probably one of the better athletes in the system. I would have said best athlete, but Ellie De La Cruz does exist. But one of the better athletes in the system, a plus defender at shortstop who I feel like could play anywhere in the diamond. You're you're not going to waste him at first base, right? But he pitched a little bit in college, so the arm is very good. He could play short. He could play third. He can play second. The hands are good. Uh, it's something where the questions you're going to have at the big league level are going to be about the bat, exactly how far along does the bat come in, What's the power ceiling look like? I think either way, he's somebody who feels like he's going to be, if there's a chance of making the big leagues as a non-top 30 prospect, it feels like Trey Faltine's going to have one because the the seat, the floor for defense is so incredibly high. Again, I think he can play anywhere in the offense, uh, anywhere in the infield at an above average or plus level, probably plus. I don't think he's ever been a catcher. You could probably strap him up. He'd probably be above average the first day back there if he had to do it. The other guy, uh, right-hand pitcher Roldy Munoz of the Braves. I love to see sinker guys with, like sinker slider guys with stupid velocity. And that's what Munoz is. Sinker sits 96 to 97. He can touch 101 with it and has just a ridiculous wipeout slider in the high 80s. Gets swing and miss over 50% of the time. Fantastic one-two punch. Obviously, a lot of questions. You've got... uh, you know, that's why he's not a top 30 prospect. You've got body build questions. You've got reliever risk questions. You've got the lack of a third pitch. But the tools are there. They're fantastic. If you're going to see any system mold a pitcher with a fantastic fastball and slider into a usable big leaguer, it's going to be the Atlanta Braves. Uh, bonus, I'll give you an American League guy. I like catcher Hayden Dunhurst of the Royals. Came out of Old Miss. I got a chance to watch him in person last year. He's a phenomenal catcher. Above average defense, plus if not better, arm behind the plate. Very instinctual. Does a very good job at getting pitchers in rhythm. Uh, you know, doing all of the little things that catchers have to do at the big league level. And was one of the rare college catchers that called a lot of his own games last year versus letting the coaching staff do it from the dugout. So something that helps developmentally because they're more advanced when it comes to managing a staff, game calling, and things like that. Batted 231, 370, 385 last year across like 50-something games. So you've got questions about the overall ceiling of the hit tool and the power tool. But again, the defense is so incredibly good. If there's any position where you'll take a below average offensive performer because the defense is so good, it's going to be catcher. So he has the tools to be a professional catcher for a big league, like for a long time as a backup and a veteran uh, who can help you manage a staff? Sneaky Turtle in our Discord asked about the like, what's the like, how big of a difficulty jump is each level? We always talk about the jump to double A is the biggest jump for a prospect, uh, but 
what's the, the, the difficulty in jumping to each level? And I think if you're going to rank this, obviously, again, double A is the, is the biggest one because everyone in double A, for the most part, is a prospect. You've gotten rid of the guys that were good performers in college or looked promising out of high school and couldn't necessarily put it together. You've weeded them out. And so double A is full of a bunch of guys that are legitimate major league baseball prospects. And that's why it's the biggest jump. When you look at the jump into low A or high A, these jumps are are also tough, but tough for different reasons. So for me, when you jump into low A, and a lot of that, sometimes you'll see college guys that go there. A lot of college guys sometimes can go straight into high A. A lot of that's like prepsters and stuff like that. To me, the the challenge with low A is it's the grind of a of full season baseball. A lot of these prep kids, they'll play in the spring. They'll play, you know, 30 games in the spring. They'll do some showcases. They play travel ball over the summer and the fall and things like that. But there's always breaks built in. And it's not like mentally, like it's something different every part of the year. In the spring, you have you have the, the school ball, then you have travel. Like it's 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 different stuff. Mentally, it is a grind to go from April to August or September with one team all year playing five or six days a week. Like it is a mental grind. And so that's the big like it's a physical grind because you're working so much. It's a mental grind because of the monotony of it is it is August 25th. It is hot as heck. You have played 80 games this year already. You have to go out and play six more games in the next six days. It's just grueling. So that's why low A is kind of the big jump. High A to me is the raw like the stuff the raw stuff is so good in high a cuz you've added in some of these college guys but some of these guys have flaws which make it tough the control might not quite be there or the secondaries aren't quite there so you're dealing with the quality of stuff it's just there's so much variance in it you may face a guy who's you know throwing 95 96 but he's wild he might hit you he might leave it a foot and a half outside the other batter's box and then when you go to AAA, the issue there is the talent level kind of stagnates. I think AAA ends up being you sometimes not as good as the AA team from a talent perspective. There's less development happening because the job here is not to develop guys that make them better. The job here is to supplement the major league roster and help the major league team win games. Uh, you do have those crafty veterans who are you know, trying to prolong their baseball careers that know all the tricks that can get you out and things like that. But it's not necessarily as big of a thing. And then to me, one of the big things you have to understand when you make the change is, is this guy going to struggle the next level because of how he did against the lower third of the roster? So what I mean by that is every time... It's not exact numbers, but on average, about one-third of players at whatever given level will not appear in the next level. And so this guy, like, say, let's say this guy does well in high A, and he jumps to double A. Well, was he successful completely? Like, was he successful against everybody? Or did he feast on, like, let's say he's a hitter. Did he feast on that lower third of 
the rotation, those last two or three guys that had a fastball that sat 89 or 90, had kind of a blah, ordinary slider, and maybe an occasional changeup, and that's it. You know, because you might have two or three of those guys in the back end of your A, of your low A rotation. High A, you might have one. And then double A, they're all gone. And so if you're a guy who succeeded in low A offensively, but it was against a lot of those types of guys, that lower third of the of the roster, then you're going to struggle when you get to high A. Same thing going high A to double A. It's where was the success? And that's why in-person scouting is so important. Being able to see like, yes, they made it happen, but they made it happen against guys that aren't going to be big leaders, that aren't going to be at the next level. Disproportionately strong performance against the lower third of the roster is a warning sign that this guy may not be good enough to get promoted and still be successful at the next level. That's what makes it tough to kind of figure out here is is what exactly, like the jumps from level to level are really contingent on how the guy did at the previous level and who he did it against. Reminder, if you have questions for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, prospects at gmail.com. And again, you can join the Locked on Movie Prospects Discord. Link is in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, this has been Locked on MLB Prospects. Uh-huh.